You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org. Amen. Please turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6. And if you are comfortable, would you join me in reading the Lord's Prayer this morning, starting in verse 9. It will be on the screen there as well. Jesus taught us then to pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now some of your translations continue, unlike the ESV, which says, And yours is the glory, and the power, and the kingdom forevermore. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You did. I think we're live. Thank you, Dean and Ryan, Sarah. I remembered. I'll probably forget a lot of stuff, but I remembered Sarah. <laughs> this, is, this is always a huge privilege, but a huge responsibility. And as, as those of you who know me or are getting to know me realize that I'd rather be sitting back there than standing up here. There's a reason I play tuba and bass, and that relates to that. So thank you for your prayers and support and encouragement. Um, I've had a couple of interesting things. It's, it's transition time in my world, back to school time, and we had in-service this week, and it started off interesting. And I'm going to set some kind of some backstory and ongoing story to this. Several weeks ago, Sean and I met with a couple of guys, and Andy was, was with us. And it, it was, we went to hy V, and they have TVs with sporting events all over the place. And there were a couple of different events that they were playing. One of them was adult tag. This is, this is guys that look like running backs flying all over this course. And it was, it was like knockout tag. And Andy was fascinated, and Sean was pretty drawn into that. And then they kind of switched channels around, and the next thing up was axe throwing. And Andy was gone. <laughs> he was fascinated that this is not only something that people do, but that something people do competitively as a professional sport. Andy, guess what I did for in-service on Tuesday? We went axe throwing, and I have a scar. <laughs> they made us sign a waiver, and one of my friends was in the, the booth next to me, and he decided to back up and try for a power throw to see what it was like. And so I thought, well, that sounds like a good idea. <laughs> and so I backed up, and I'm bigger than Scott, <laughs> and theoretically stronger than Scott, but he threw hard. I, I did too. And the axe bounced. And I must have had it at a really low angle because it came out. And they have a rubber mat that goes from about me to Abram as a safety zone, right? My axe bounced off, hit the rubber, and ricocheted. 
and it spun a couple of times and it caught me in the lower shin and I was farther away than that should have been able to happen. It's a gift. (laughs) My legs and metal objects, (laughs) God has foreordained that they be drawn together, I guess. We're going to go do that sometime. I I also offered to introduce him to to Chicken, and the the lawyer in him keeps refusing. Something about not wanting sharp objects pointed in his direction. I don't know. And then I got one more thing with my... It wasn't this week. It was a couple of weeks ago. We had our band camp. That's when I know summer is over. First of August is band camp. How do I set this up? I used to be an assassin. A friend and I hired ourselves out as squirt gun assassins, and we would go to events, um, and, and we would, for a small fee with our squirt guns, hand the person a, a, a note that says, this hit has been bought by some of your friends. We had our trench coats and dark glasses and the Peter Gunn theme. They'd read the note, they'd look at us, we'd pull out our squirt guns and just soak them. And I've told my band kids this, that that's part of my checkered past. Last day of band camp, I was printing out sheets at the copier. We have brand new copy machines, big brand new copy machines. And I'm standing there and I hear, Mr. Lane, turn around. It's like, I'm not going to turn around. (laughs) And again, Mr. Lane, turn around. So I turned around. Here's my entire senior class with super soakers. Every single one. I have 20 seniors. And they're all pointed at me. And I said, guys, don't even think about that. I'm standing right in front of thousands of dollars of electronic equipment that's brand new. Don't even think about it. They said, move away from the copier. <laughs> so I did. But as I'm moving, I'm looking, and one of the kids was about as far away as, you're, you're Isaac or Benjamin, I'm sorry. Ben, you're about for me to Ben. And so I thought, all right, my only option here is just let everybody hose me or disarm him, take him hostage, and fight back. We went option B. I grabbed his squirt gun, and I grabbed him as a shield, and he dropped. He's bigger than me, and he just dropped. But before he dropped, they started squirting him, and so he took the brunt of the first squirt. I got drenched. They had a good time. That wasn't the end of it. They, we went down to the football field, and they got me really good. It was well played. It, it, there was no way I could be mad at them at all. Anyway, we got down to the football field, and they were kind of smiling and chuckling. And I said, okay, seniors, down to the goal line. And so I lined them up on the goal line. I said, so, you guys went on a suicide mission because you knew I'd get you. <laughs> said, so let's do a suicide drill. And if you've done sports, that's basketball. It's free throw line, end zone, half court, end zone. Well, in football, it's five-yard line back, 10-yard line back. So they were going to march five forward and 10 back. And marching backwards, you do it on your toes. And their eyes just went, and their shoulders just sunk. And I went, gotcha. I'm grateful that I get to have that kind of a relationship with my students. Uh, I'm grateful that God's put me in that environment, and I trust that I impact them more deeply than just stories about squirt guns. We're in Matthew 6 again. We're in the Sermon on the Mount still. We're looking at the Lord's Prayer. And as we began studying the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, 5, we were reminded 
that God doesn't want us to pray to gain the attention of man. He wants us to pray to connect with him. And that he's not interested in the quantity and fervor of our prayer like so many of the, the world's prayers are. How many of you remember an event before you came to know the Lord where something happened and you knew the thing you needed to do was pray? You just did. Friend and I in band were in that circumstance one time and man, we were on a band trip. He did something shouldn't have done. I wasn't there, but it was our room. I started praying. God, get us out of this. Get us out of this. Get us out of this. Foxhole prayers, they call them in the military. Uh, Sean reminded us of the, the prophets of Baal, cutting themselves and yelling and screaming and leaping around to get the attention of their God who didn't respond. That's not what God cares about. The Lord's Prayer begins with acknowledgments of God the Father's uniqueness and His role in the Godhood, His worth and His right to receive praise, and His sovereign will and His authority to reign. Now Jesus takes us in this prayer to the requests that focus on practical applications in our lives of those truths about who God is. These requests also point us to our need for God and our dependence on Him. And it, it, at this point, I got to stop again for just a second. I was just—I got to meet Dean's brother-in-law this morning, James, and uh, I was not surprised, just nervous about what they said because Dean said, yeah, we were sitting around last night and we were talking about this verse and the nuances of the Greek text that's going on and I'm going, <laughs> great. <laughs> so, gentlemen, I hope you're not deeply disappointed today. We'll trust that God is bigger than me. <laughs> no pressure, right? So, but I, I could actually picture that conversation. So, thank you for sharing that. Matthew 6, 11. Give us this day our daily bread. It is what it says. Let's go home. There's more. This is the first of the petitions for personal needs in this prayer. Before that, God's been laying out God, the character of God. Jesus has been laying out who God is. And now he takes us to personal petitions. This prayer looks... And this verse look very simple on the surface, but there is a lot of depth here. So I'd like to start, and, and please forgive me, structure matters a lot to me. It helps me understand stuff. It helps me see how things work. So we're just going to look fast at the words. Most of it's straight ahead, but it's going to take us to, I think, the heart of this verse as we do that. Um, the words give and this day don't really need explanation. They are just exactly what they say and what we think they are. And if we look at give, it acknowledges the fact that it's God who provides for us. We're before this God whose greatness has just been laid out to us and we're told to come before him and ask him to provide for our needs, which he graciously and kindly does, completely straight ahead. It's interesting, though. Would you turn with me to Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 to 19? 
I, I moderately apologize for the lack of PowerPoint. It's one of those, there's an option. I can look at the Word of God and give you a sermon or I can make slides for you. This is after the fall. This is God communicating with Adam, starting in verse 17. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree that of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. God had provided for Adam and Eve everything they needed with one restriction. As part of that, Adam was responsible for tending the garden. He worked, but it was joyous work. I, I picture it like those times you're involved in something that is challenging and taxing and would be considered work, but you're totally engrossed in loving it and you don't notice the time going by, and you get done and you're tired, but it feels really good. I picture that as the way Adam's work was. But now he's told that he's going to bring forth his food by the sweat of his face. Nothing was easy anymore. His broken fellowship with God and the difficulty of his work would naturally cause Adam's focus to shift, I believe, from God's provision to his labor. You see that? It's hard now. It's what I'm doing to take care of myself. God was providing. We lost that. Now it's up to me. I believe it's easy for us to be like Adam too. Uh, we work. We work hard. We get paid. But who's responsible? It's us in our minds. We have cupboards full of food because of the work we do. We have bank accounts that are full, well, relatively full of money. If we need something, we order it on Amazon. It's here in a day or two. If we really need it, we run to that old thing called the store. And we think that all of that comes from our jobs, our labor, our work. We're praised in our country for being self-sufficient. That's a, a positive character trait. This makes it critically important for us to be reminded, as Jesus does here, that it's God who provides for us. Remember that. It's God who provides for us. Jesus knew that. That's why it's here in this prayer. This day is today or this day or day by day. It, in, it talks about the regular, immediate need we have for God's provision. You need to eat every day. You need clothes every day. Those needs exist, and it's a request for God to provide those. Now, another shift as we look back in culture. In Jesus' time, vast majority of the people were day laborers. You went to an employer, farmer, whomever that day, to see if they needed help. That's where your income came from and your food, and it was just for that day. And then you'd have to go the next day 
You were paid, you bought food, you took care of your family. Uh, there was no security or guarantee of income. And I'm guessing for most of us here right now, we're pretty sure that in the near future, this week, next week, maybe a month, depending on how it's set up, there's going to be money available for us because we've worked and we know our employer is going to pay us. But it's not, most of us aren't paid day by day for pieces we're paid to be a part of that company. And again, it's easy for us to forget that our security isn't in our job. Our security is in the Lord. They had a much clearer understanding of their need for God to give them favor and food. I think that's especially important for us to remember. We are very far removed from that lifestyle. In many ways, we're grateful. I'm a teacher. We're paid a yearly salary. I don't technically work in the summer, but I still get income because I chose to split it up over that time. Many teachers choose to just take their monthly income monthly, and it leaves them a period of time without income. Uh, that would run my anxiety level through the roof, and that's not even day-to-day. -day. That's months' worth. So our, the necessity of us to see God taking care of us each and every day. Two words together, us and our. They're plural. Why is that important? This prayer is a corporate prayer. It's meant to be prayed by groups of people. What groups come to mind? If you stop and think about a prayer, if a prayer is for groups of people, what groups might those be? This is audience participation right now. You're, you're welcome to join in. And, and I won't be that teacher that says there are no wrong answers, because there are. Hmm? <laughs> what two groups? Because us and our are plural, so this is a group prayer. What groups would probably be involved if we think about that? I'm sorry, what? The disciples? Possibly, let's broaden that a little bit. Joshua? Okay. No. But it's designed as a group, and that's where we're going. So hold that as we look at where we're going. So no, it's not wrong. Wasn't ready for that one. <laughs> believers and unbelievers. So if we look at believers, we're talking about the church, right? So this would have been a, a prayer that the church prayed together as a group. God, please provide for this body. Now, we do that. How many of you this week, just this week, have specifically prayed for at least one person's need in this body? Show me your hands, please. All of us do that. We are participating in what we've been asked to do. Give us this day our daily bread. Um, what other unit? Group of people. 
your family. What a great way to teach your children about God and his goodness and his greatness than by praying this together on a regular basis. And that was one of the things that happened. In the early church, this was used both by families in the church as a means of coming before God, as a means of teaching, as a means of corporately lifting each other up. Now, children would learn how to address God appropriately. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. They would realize from a young age that he is worthy of praise and honor and respect. They would see this dependence on God, give us this day our daily bread, modeled by their parents. So the us and our are significant in the, the fact that, A, we're growing together as a family in our relationship to God. As a body of believers, we're able to encourage each other, point each other back to that same great God who's taking care of our families and us. We can engage in knowing God's provision for us. Bread is, bread is broader than a mixture of flour and water and oil and salt and maybe yeast. That's its, its primary use, food, bread, but it's, it's broader than that. It's the things that we need to live day by day. They're necessary. We call them the necessities of life. They're sufficient. They're not extravagant. God doesn't ask us to pray here for everything we could possibly need for the rest of our lives. He wants us dependent on him right now. So the only word we haven't touched yet is daily. So you get an idea. They're trying to, Jesus is trying to help us understand the greatness of God applies to our lives day by day, and our lives are engaged with those of other believers and family who need to come before God because he's the one who provides the things that we need, the things that are necessary for us to live. Okay, so daily. Give us this day our daily bread. The Greek word translated daily is a unique word. So please go geek with me for just a minute. I'm going to try to not be boring and lose us. But this one is really cool. Except for the parallel verse in Luke 11.3, which is Luke's account of the Sermon on the Mount and Luke's account of the Lord's Prayer. This Greek word, and the word is epiousion, is not used anywhere else in Scripture. That's a big deal, but it's a bigger deal because it's not used anywhere else in classic Greek literature. It's nowhere. It's not in any other book, not in any other passage, just those two references to the same statement. It's a compound word, two words put together, and it's only used here in the Lord's Prayer. It's translated as daily, but it can also mean sufficient. But here's the point. Matthew made up a word 
specifically for this prayer and specifically to address an idea. So, the other thing, if you haven't figured out by now, I'm a why guy. Why? Why? I drove my parents nuts. Why? And I got a lot of, because I said so. (laughs) Kids, I hope you get a little better than that sometimes from your parents. Why would he make up a new word? Greek already had two words that would have worked perfectly well to express daily. Why do you need another one? The translation sufficient also has an accurate definition. There isn't really a need for a new word. So why not just use one of those words? Fair question, right? Well, when you cross from one language to another, as is done in the translation of Scripture, there are times when the exact word that's needed doesn't exist in the other language. This unique compound word that Matthew used in this passage indicates that Jesus, when he was, was delivering the Sermon on the Mount, was speaking in Aramaic, which would have been the, the language of the, the people in the country, not in Greek, which was the trade language, or Roman, Latin, sorry, which was, again, a trade language. So Matthew constructed a compound word to fit the context and meet the need for understanding. He coined this word as the best equivalent for the unknown Aramaic word that our Lord used. Now, that makes some sense to me. I had friends who were missionaries. They were, they were Dutch, and they'd moved to the United States and ministered in South Africa. And so they spoke English and Dutch, and I can't remember if it was Zulu or Swahili. They were fluent in all three of those languages. And when their family was together and talking, you'd be listening and there'd be this flow of English going along. And then there's these words you don't understand. And then it's back to English. And then there's these other words that have a really strange sound. And then back to English. Today it's called code switching. And you've probably heard about that. And it's used for just that purpose. They would pick the word from whichever language best explained what they were trying to say. Now, we get stuck. Our word love. Love goes a lot of different directions, right? Which, which nuanced are we meaning when we say that? So in, in this context, Matthew made a word that was going to make it very clear what was going on. Another reason to coin a new word is that Jesus was communicating a new idea something that had not existed before. An idea that had more depth of meaning than the existing Greek words could express. I believe that's what's going on here even more than finding just the right word. There's a deeper meaning than just daily that was going on. Scholars debate that word daily and they've come up with four renditions, four different ways that you can use this. So we're going to look at those and then see how that applies to the verse. So next question is, what are the four possible meanings? Is anybody napping yet? 
Is anybody seeing that Jesus is really trying to get us focused on God's greatness and our need of him? All right. This may broaden that. Definition number one, or use number one. Give us this day our day-to-day bread. That's the first use of that daily, day-to-day. Can also be said the day now coming, which means if I get up in the morning, I get together with my family, we sit down, we say, God, please provide us our food, our needs today. So that's the first. The second one is, give us this day tomorrow's bread. Or the day which is to come. The third one is, give us this day the bread that is necessary or sufficient for our existence or sustenance. Give us this day the bread that's necessary or sufficient for our existence or sustenance. And the last one is, give us this day the bread that is over and above material substance. Let me read those again I, for the writers. Give us this day our day-to-day bread is one. Two, give us this day tomorrow's bread or the day which is to come. Three, give us this day the bread necessary or sufficient for our existence or sustenance. And four, give us this day the bread that is over and above material substance. These, these nuances talk about the time frame of supply. They talk about the quality of what's being supplied, and they talk about the spiritual nature of what's being supplied. So we're going we're gonna to look at these day to day. If we look at it, give us this day our day-to-day bread. It focuses on the immediacy of our physical needs. Just feed me. Provide what I need to eat. It focuses on right now. Why does that matter? Because we tend to worry about the future. That's becoming more a part of my life than it's probably ever been. I am technically old enough to retire. I think I'm looking forward to that day. My mortgage says I can retire in another 11 years. Uh-oh. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> if I retire now, how am I going to pay that mortgage? I'm concerned about that. I like my house. Layla likes our house. People that come over to visit enjoy our house. We get to share it with other people. It's a great house. I've slept in my car. My car's too little. The seat doesn't go down flat. It's easy for me to be anxious. We plan for any kind of emergency. I do that too. I planned what I was going to do with a kid in a squirt gun. (laughs) Go on the offensive. I knew what was going to happen in that instance. But think about it. How many of you have an emergency bag? In case you have to leave the house, you've got a flashlight, you've got bandages, you've got all sorts of stuff packed in it. 
How many of you, uh, how many of you have six months of savings in the bank right now? I did once upon a time, and then this word remodel came up, and it's gone. We try to create as much security and safety as we possibly can. Is this bad? No. Can I store food? Should I have a retirement fund? What about those six months' wages? Let's look at the end of Matthew 6. And I'm just going to publicly apologize to Sean and whoever else preaches there that I'm stealing some of the material and giving a spoiler. Matthew 6, 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Back to verse, on to verse 34 in Matthew 6. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Tomorrow is going to be anxious for itself. Uh, turn to James, please. Chapter 4. Verses 13 to 16. Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever... Oh, that's verse 17. Stop at 16, please. Back to chapter 2 in James. Verse 15. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food... And one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. We're called to be good stewards of what God has given us. Think of the parable of the talents. The master expected a return on what he had given we're told to, to take care of those. As we look at the brother and sister without clothing or food, the point there is that we have sufficient to be able to share with them, which is more than my daily need. So is it wrong to have these things? No, I don't think so. We know that God knows what tomorrow holds and we don't. The bigger point is are we depending on those things or are we depending on God? Are we realizing what Jesus is teaching here, that each day is God's? We're in his care. He's the one who provides for us. We need to acknowledge that truth daily and depend on him. So, be good stewards, 
dependent on God, don't be anxious. Be trusting in Him. He's the one who provides. It's amazing to watch that happen. Uh, my first wife and I spent 11 years as missionaries, and it was a faith-supported mission. I, didn't, I taught at a Bible college, but I didn't get paid. We were there on staff. And so we were dependent on support that we raised. Well, you can imagine how easy going out and connecting with people and asking them for money is for me, right? Let's just say our support was minuscule. <laughs> but time and time and time again, God provided for us. He provided clothes. He provided food. He provided money. It was amazing to watch that, and, and I'm grateful for that privilege. It, it made me realize I can't just depend on me. Was I working hard to teach? Absolutely. Was I studying deeply and carefully? Yes, indeed. Did it take a lot of time? Mm-hmm. Was I dependent on God? Yep. And that's where he wants us. So, that's day to day. Tomorrow's bread. Give us today tomorrow's bread. The commentators say that this is probably a liturgical application. What does that mean? Having to do with church services. Having to do with gathering together. Remember, us and our are plural, so we're talking about group prayer. Two main groups that we already talked about were churches and families. So when most likely would both of those groups be able to get together? When did the early church meet? Well, it wasn't during the day. Why? Because many of them were slaves. They were day laborers also. They were out working like we do. So when would they gather? Well, they'd gather in the morning. They'd gather in the evening. Families, when do you consistently find a time that's going to work to get together? And I know that the real world answer is very rarely because of our schedules. But as you try to think about your times together, it's usually in the morning or evening, right? You make sure everything's okay before the day starts with the kids. You make sure at the end of the day that everybody's done okay. And so, this prayer would be prayed in the evening. But that's a little strange because praying this prayer in the morning is no problem. Give us this day our daily bread. God, today we need you to provide for us so that we have something to eat. But in the evening you would have already eaten your day's food. So it seems a little odd to pray, Lord, give us our daily bread that we just ate. Provide for us the daily bread that you just provided. And so if it was used in the evening, that makes sense. Lord, we know we need your provision and we're going to need it you provided for us today. We're going to need it tomorrow. Please pray for us tomorrow. Please provide for us tomorrow. Right? So you can see the application as they looked ahead. They could appropriately ask for God to provide what was coming. Tonight, as we move into the new day, we're asking for you to provide for us tomorrow. I think there could be a more significant reason would you turn to Exodus 16 with me? It's 
So we, we continue to see our, our deep need to depend on God. Exodus 16 is the children of Israel in the wilderness. And it's not long since they've crossed the Red Sea and they're already grumbling. And we're going to start in verse 13 and read to verse 19. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp. And in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as you can eat. You shall each take an omer, according to the number of persons that each of you has in his tent. The people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But whenever they measured, with, measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over till morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning. It bred worms and stank. And so, God provided manna. Every day, give us this day our daily bread is exactly what God did for the children of Israel. No more, no less. If you were worried about the next day and you kept it, fine. It stinks and it's full of worms. <laughs> Yum. It goes on in verses 22 to 26. And this is where I see the application to tomorrow's bread. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till morning. So they laid it aside till the morning, as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, there will be none. A special provision for when? For tomorrow. What was the point of tomorrow? Rest. Regenerate. Focus on the Lord. Build your relationship with Him. So as they trusted God, there was food. God gave them enough and He provided them rest. That takes us to necessary and sufficient. Albert Barnes says that bread refers to all that sustains us, everything that is necessary to sustain life. We know that we need more than just food to survive and thrive. God knew this. Jesus taught this. We need clothing and shelter. We need community and family. Most of all, we need a Savior. 
Deuteronomy 8.3 emphasizes this point. They're remembering the Lord here. And it says, God humbled you. He let you hunger. And he fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Man doesn't live by bread alone. In Matthew 4, and in Luke 4, Jesus quotes this during his temptation in the wilderness. Satan is trying to get Jesus to bow before him, to deny who he is, to give worship to Satan who is not worthy. And Jesus reminds him of this verse because he's been in the wilderness for 40 days. I haven't been to the Middle East. I've seen pictures, but I grew up in eastern Nevada. I looked it up yesterday. Where I grew up gets 11 inches of annual rainfall, less than an inch a month. A lot of that comes in the winter or the spring. In the summer, if you see a cloud, you wonder what you did wrong. It's dry, but it's not Middle East dry. It's barren, but it's not Middle East barren. And Jesus was in that wilderness with nothing around him, no provision, no sustenance for 40 days. It was a real temptation. Your God turned the rocks into bread. Jesus' response, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He knew the source of his life and strength and sustenance. Hang on a second. Yep. So as we come to God each day, we acknowledge our need for him to provide in every aspect of our lives. Jesus is teaching us to live in this day-by-day -day dependence for all that pertains to life and godliness. That's 2 Peter 1.3. We need more than physical food to sustain us. He, God doesn't want us to just exist. But he also doesn't want us to be bloated and self-sufficient. In Matthew Poole's commentary, he refers back to Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9. Give me neither poverty or riches... Feed me with food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of the Lord. I think that captures the sense of this supplying for our sustenance. Not so much that I forget about the Lord, not so little that I'm tempted to steal and dishonor him, enough to meet my real needs in every aspect of my life. Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown translate this, give us this day the bread which this day's necessities require. And I was reminded, studying this, I have different needs on different days. When I'm doing the remodel in the bathroom, I need physical strength to do that. I need mental clarity to do things carefully. When I'm at school, I need people energy. 
I need the resources to be up for my students, to be there and engaged. Um, you and I have different needs. I don't know what yours are. I can pray for them as we interact about that. So we need different provision from the Lord. And I'm grateful that he looks at this for us. Jesus reminds us that he's the one who provides all we need. We're reminded as a group to pray for one another. There's some rabbit trails. They're teaching that God's going to provide more than we could ever expect. Um, in America, there's teaching that we provide for ourselves. This prayer takes us away from that. The last part is the spiritual man. That which is over and above material substance. Back to John chapter 6. Verse, or on to John 6, rather. Verse 33. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. John 6.35, Jesus said to them, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me never thirst. John 6.51, I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. John 6.58, this is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread that the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread, Jesus, the bread that came down from heaven, the bread of life, will live forever. The bread of the future is Jesus. He is the bread of life. I believe this is the new facet that Jesus was teaching us to pray that Matthew brought the new word for, for us to understand. Jesus is the place where we find the sustenance that we truly need for life. He's the one who provides the physical needs that we have. It's not us, it's him. So all four of these Translations apply. They bring nuances of understanding. Bottom line is this. Jesus is teaching that all our provision, day by day, for all our needs, physical, spiritual, emotional, come from God, who graciously and lovingly provides for us, especially life, which we find in Jesus. Let's pray. You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org.